Hello and welcome to episode 14 of For Art's Sake, an art history and museum podcast. I'm your host, Rhea. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate it. I hope you're having a safe and responsible day. That also brings you some joy at some point or another. Today I'm spending time with my parents and my fiance, um, who are already part of my bubble. Um, I didn't want to skip another week just because it was a holiday because of having to do it previously. So um, this is my answer to that of having no time before Christmas. Uh, I still just wanted to do something, want to do something holiday related, but I also didn't want to do something like religious or about graphic design. And for a while when I was thinking about this, I couldn't figure out exactly what to do. So I was thinking about themes and I thought about gift giving. And then from that, I thought about my experiences working at a museum um, and dealing with people who wanted to donate to the museum. So this episode is going to be based on my experiences. Basically, every institution has their own rules and regulations and processes um, when it comes to the donation of items, as well as wills and deeds and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to not, ta- I'm not going to talk about money. Uh, not necessarily. I'm going to mention a little bit about it. Um, and I'm not talking about um, deeds or anything like that, because that's definitely not my experience. I'm talking about people calling or emailing or like walking in being like, I'm going to give you this thing. I have stuff to talk about. (laughs) So briefly, I'm going to go over like wordage because I think it's interesting and something that I haven't noticed working in museums. So basically sometimes gift giving and donation is used hand in hand, but also I think that it's used specifically to kind of emphasize something, right? Um, You know, usually they mean kind of the same thing or the general idea. Um, Basically, you're just giving something to a museum. Um, whether it be historic or even like a scientific item, which is natural history um, or art. Um, both a donation and a gift can be money, of course. Um, you know, with money, of course, there's different levels to that. You know, there's membership is a technically a way of donation, if you will. Um, when you walk through a museum, you'll see donation boxes. Usually they're not called gift giving. Um Usually when it comes to money and somebody's asking for a gift of money, it is part of some sort of fundraiser or it's part of like a membership drive or, you know, that gift giving language is used in like a membership pamphlet. Donation may be used in a membership pamphlet as well, but it's often asking for an additional amount. So working at um, the Maryland Center for History and Culture, um, when I worked there, you know, you would have these membership um, pamphlets kind of sent out. Um, yeah, like if somebody was going, you know, their membership was ending. Um, so they would ask, you know, for the membership amount or to up their amount, but then they would have like at the bottom, an additional thing, you know, additional donation. This helps with this program, blah, 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 blah. So I just think it's really interesting how they kind of use the language. Gift giving is something I see a lot, you know, with larger amounts of money, um, it's used with fundraising. Donation seems to be like, not necessarily casual, but there's something more, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to describe the feeling I have with like gift gifting versus donation, that kind of language. Donation seems kind of like, yes, we're a museum. The gift giving kind of seems like, oh, help us. <laughs> I don't know why. It just seems too like fundraising development to me, which is just not my personal thing, even though I understand why it happens. I'm not saying anything against that, but I'm just saying it just definitely has like different 
like ears to the word, if that makes any sense. But like I said, this is not going to be about money or development. That could certainly be an episode way in the future. Um, but this is going to just, again, this is going to be about my experiences at the Maryland Center for History and Culture, formerly called the Maryland Historical Society when I work there. This is going to be about object donation. All right. So working at the Maryland Center for, for History and Culture, um, I worked at the front desk. So I dealt with a lot of people who inquired about donations. I did not answer emails because for whatever reason, the only person who can answer the inquiry emails was the visitor services manager, um, which was one person. And tons of people could send in emails, you know, for the library or for tours or whatever, education. And it was her responsibility to go through. So like if she went on vacation, no one can answer those emails. And I remember one of the librarians came up to me and was like, can you help me with the email? I, I don't. They don't allow me access. I don't know why. Before I started, the other visitor services person did have access, but for some reason they revoked it. And I do not know why. So <laughs> while I worked there, the donation kind of questions, when somebody was inquire like on the phone and they would say, I would like to donate an object. My stomach would drop because that sort of inquiry call or visit often meant that there could be some issues of the person on the other end not understanding the process because there is a process. Now, again, every institution is different. There are some like rules that you have to follow so that people don't get scammed, you know, stuff like that. And so that you know, you have to follow NAGPRA, for example. That's a rule that a museum has to follow. And there are other rules like that, like uh, if you believe that art is stolen from Jewish people, like it's Nazi stolen art, you know, stuff like that. Oh, oh boy, that's a whole thing, right? Um, <laughs> basically, you have these set of rules and then you have like in the museum community, you have kind of unspoken kind of like they're not written down sort of rules, but it's like if you mess up in that way, it's like controversial and like they'll blacklist you, you know? And then there are rules for local, state, and like I said, federal um, that you have to follow. And then you have your own individual board. They come up with the whole process and they also will work with the museum employees. So in my experience, um, you know, we went by our mission statement, basically simply it was we were taking stuff that was historically valuable in basically any way, which I'll get to, um, but it had to be related to Maryland history in some way. And within that, we would take, you know, photographs um, as well as more, um, well, physical objects. Not that photographs aren't physical, but I'm talking about um, dresses, furniture, and of course, we would take paintings and letters, postcards, books, even larger objects. Um, it really depended. So like I said, there's a process and that process is really important. If you go to a museum, a historical society, whatever it is, and they just take your stuff, that's really suspicious. You should want your, you should know and want your institution to be more considerate with the items because that means that they're considerate of their storage, 
of their exhibitions, their mission statement, you know, the purpose, the future, and taking care of this item too. If you care at all about your grandmother's wedding dress, you won't just give it away because otherwise just take it to the thrift store, you know? A lot of people just don't understand that museums cannot and should not just take things. So one of the big rules that we had working at visitor services is that we could not just accept items and people did not like that. Um, it wasn't too frequently that we would run into this sort of problem, but we certainly had people who would just mail things to the library without actually talking to someone, which the library and the museum department had their own separate sort of process. The library is a little bit more easier because, you know, they have more storage, if you will, because paper is flat. But that doesn't mean that they'll just take anything. But I remember there was this one guy from Wisconsin. Um, we would check the mail, right? And he would just send postcards constantly just send postcards that were from Baltimore or Frederick, Maryland, just send that to us with a letter. And I just give it to them and it was whatever. Sometimes, you know, they already had repeats. And so maybe it would go into the store, but like these people who would send stuff in are like, just take this. I don't care what happens. That actually happened quite frequently. I would say at least once a week, we would get these sort of items with a letter saying, you know, my family won't take it. I don't know what to do with this. Maybe you can just use it for education. And they'll just like say stuff like, almost in a demanding way, which was kind of annoying. And then there would be people who just mail more, um, not flat items, you know, um, stuff in frames, for example, um, like smaller items, like pins, buttons, stuff like that. And then there was one time. So we have the original building, for the Maryland Historical Society slash Maryland Center for History and Culture is uh, the Pratt House. The Pratts were a very rich family in Baltimore and in Maryland and did a lot of stuff. Okay. The Enoch Pratt Library, for example, Shepherd's Pratt. Um, if you're local, you know what I mean. So they lived in this house and there's only two occupants for this house, the Pratt family and the Maryland Center for History and Culture. And it's like this giant mansion, probably haunted, but it was the original museum for a really long time. So people who have been going to the Maryland Center for History and Culture for a very, very, very long time know that place. That was the address for the museum for quite a while, literally until September. Um, I think it was like September 5th or something that they officially changed it. So anyway, it was actually a year ago, just a couple of days ago, um, that one of the museum employees was looking for a package that got sent and said it was there. And, you know, we had two different entrances that all met in the middle where we were and nothing came. I didn't see anything outside, but we have that front porch for that part of the museum that is closed, right? So people will just leave stuff there. So he walked over there, even though there's a sign that says, please deliver packages around here. But on the front porch, somebody just randomly left this giant school book. And the school book was from a segregated school for black kindergartners. And it showed photographs of the little kids in their class. And they had a little guinea pig pet. And it was really beautiful. And they're actually working on an exhibit. I don't know how it's going now because obviously I left and there was a pandemic. But it was all about the civil rights movement in Maryland. And one of the education employees who was working on that exhibit got super excited. It was really cool. It was really amazing. It was on the outside in bad shape, which, you know, could have been partly because it had been sitting out for like three days. Somebody had written a letter. It was a whole thing. People actually did that 
way more than they probably should. Now, we can't really stop people from leaving things outside, but we can stop people from leaving things at the front desk. There were, oh boy, a couple times that somebody was insistent that they just leave stuff with us. And we would have to be like, I'm sorry, I am not remotely qualified to deal with these items. Um, unfortunately, you're going to have them take them back with you and contact us so that we can prepare our professional employees who know what they're doing because they went to school with it and did the training and have the experience so they can handle your precious items safely. Oftentimes, people would drop stuff off or try to drop stuff off during the weekend when no one was in the office building. So we couldn't even call people. A couple of times that this happened, I was able to call the associate registrar, for example, or the fashion archive person. Um, but there was this one woman in particular. And thankfully, the store manager at the time handled her. But like, she would call all the time. We used to have this staff member. She had left last year before October. She had been there for like 10 years. She's like really big in like the local fashion thing. She's a fashion historian and all this stuff. Very fashionable and, you know, just really interesting person. And she knew people. And this one person would constantly call asking to talk to her, blah, 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 bring stuff in for her. And then one time she just wanted to give us this dress. She didn't contact anyone, including that woman who worked at the museum still. And so she just was insisting, insisting that she drop off these dresses. And we're like, we can't take those. We can't. It's an ephemeral item. We don't even have a place to put them. They're going to drag on the floor. Like we have a coat rack back here for us, but it's like, it's not going to work. But she wouldn't stop. So the store manager was like, fine, I will take them and I'll put them on the back of the door. It was, it was so dramatic and annoying. It's just like one of those Karen moments, but it definitely shows like, uh, just people don't understand. They think that, especially like a historical society, if anybody works at a historical society, they know that people think they can just drop their crap off. And one of the issues with the museum is they had so much stuff. They had so much garbage because that's all people would do is just drop everything off no matter what. So now they have more intention, which is good because that means they have more storage space and care and knowledge and they can exhibit things, you know, like a museum should. <clears throat> Sorry trying not to cough. I am better with COVID, but I still haven't been paid by Target. Oh, anyway. So another time that happened, but it was like a nicer lady and it was Christmas time. And it was the last day we were open before Christmas. And I was at the front desk and this woman just gave me these cardboard boxes, you know, gift boxes from, we have, there's this exhibit called the Hutzler's exhibit or Hutzler's experience or whatever. The Hutzler's department store was a department store in Maryland, local to Baltimore, and everybody loves it, blah, blah, blah. It's like a thing. You have to be from Baltimore, really, <laughs> to know about it. But, like, she just gave me old boxes, and there was nothing. We, we already had boxes. Like, we already have, you know, these Hutzler stuff, and I tried to explain that to her, and she's like, well, you can sell them at a shop, and, like, they already had them in the shop. So, everybody was like, just, you can just throw them away or keep them, so I kept them. <laughs> So I know I really just just delved into stories. So let's, you know, that was a tangent, but let's get back to it. So our the donation process that we had was basically there was an option to fill out a form in person, but that wasn't super popular. We would mostly get calls rather than people walking in. 
So, which reminds me, oh, I got to tell that story. Anyway, <laughs> so when we would get these calls, we would explain, you know, I would say, thank you so much, you know, for your interest. Like, I, I can't really answer your questions. People ask, like, would you want this item? And I'm like, I really can't answer that for you. I'm going to direct you to our website there. Um, and I would sometimes have to tell them exactly where it was because the website at the time was like dated and confusing. And um, I would say, you know, there's a form here. You can fill it out. You can print it out and fill it out and um, fax it to us. Or you can mail it to us, snail mail. Um, and if you have any issues, here's the associate registrar's extension and email. Um, because he was okay with kind of that. Sometimes I would have to transfer people who like did not understand that we couldn't just take their stuff. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, just some of the stuff that people would get angry about. Like I'm... I understand some of the ways, you know, people were upset because like a family member died and they were overwhelmed, but it's like at the same time, like we are a museum and we're trying to be responsible. Anyway, so there would be this form. It would ask for information on yourself, you know, contact information, stuff like that. And then information on the item, you know, the history of it, what it is. And then we would ask for a photograph. Um, if you weren't able to provide a photograph, you could always talk to the associate registrar about it because a lot of people who did contact us were older. So that doesn't necessarily mean that they were the greatest at technology. That was my experience. <clears throat> so once, oh my cat, dude, why, why are you doing this? You just stepped all over my computer. He could have gone around me. I gave you Christmas presents. Why would you do this to me? Anyway, so once the form was filled out and sent to the associate registrar, it would then take several months um, especially during pandemic, <laughs> for the associate registrar to get back to that person and say, hey, we're interested. Let's actually start the process of, you know, actual donation, um, which people did not like because a lot of people were like, I have these items. I want to get rid of them. And I'm like, unfortunately, you know, we're being responsible here. Um, it could take upwards of six months. And I would explain, basically, we have to check the museum to see if one, we already have that item if we have something too similar, if we have the space for it, if we have the finances to take care of it, um, if it matches our mission statement, if it's in good condition, and we have to check with the board and have a whole meeting about it. They would have meetings throughout the year where, um, you know, they would show off new acquisitions um, to the collection, you know, to show like, this is what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. Like there's whole processes and Sometimes we would exaggerate a little bit when people were not understanding why it takes a long time. In a small museum, you may have one, maybe two people working on donations. And that is unfortunately just a reality. When you have a larger institution, it may be a little bit quicker. Or it also might take longer because they have a lot of stuff. Like I said, multiple times, each institution is different. It's just different. So once I explained, you know, hey, you know, just letting you know, this is a process. Would you like to continue? Um, a lot of people just get really mad and be like, no, I'm going to find somewhere else. And sometimes they ask me if there's anywhere else. And I'm like, I mean, you can try your county historical society, but I don't have any connections with them, which they would get mad about. You're the Maryland historical society. What do you mean you don't have any connections with other historical societies? Well, we are not like a government organization. We are a private in like museum, a nonprofit, but private. Um, and we don't control anything. And then they're like, why would you call yourself the Maryland historical society? Well, because we have Maryland history. 
But thankfully, it's now Maryland Center for History and Culture, so I hope maybe those kind of calls got better. But I have no idea. So if they went through the entire process, um, basically they would eventually, you know, they might have a meeting or two with the associate registrar to discuss things. It really depends on the type of item. And then they would drop it off, basically, and then sign papers. Um, I didn't see a lot of the behind the scenes, but I know that there is paperwork um, because obviously there has to be. There is also the opportunity um, that somebody could simply take back their item. You know, they can ask for their painting back, for example, their family painting. And that's a part of the paperwork. And that happened a couple times, uh, actually within this year, I think it was, you know, before we shut down. Now, during the pandemic, of course, things were a little bit more difficult while we were closed. And while <clears throat> I went back to work, essentially, you know, um, I was in the museum for a few hours and we would get questions and I'd just have to, people were a lot more understanding. I'm like, you know, we're working virtually. We are starting to get back in the building, but we're taking this time as we're closed to do major construction that we wouldn't have been able to do very easily if the museum was open to the public. And it's unfortunately a difficult time for those employees to come in. And it's just their work isn't exactly made for working at home. Um, so there was certainly that I know of a delay in the donation process at the time, but it started to get better. The associate registrar started to work inside more, started to meet with a couple people, of course, distanced. Um, and I'm not sure exactly if there was any additional things that he had to do in regards to cleaning or anything like that. Now, another thing that happened in the museum is that there were certain types of people that kind of could just, I don't, I wouldn't say just do their own thing, but there was a slightly different process. Um, so basically, our, the director would know some friends who would donate stuff to the museum. Sometimes they would even like find things and directly give it to the museum. They didn't already, you know, have the provenance. They didn't just own it. Like there was this guy who was working, um, well, he wasn't working on, but he was kind of like helping with the overseeing of an archeological site that um, I believe was like uh, a slave house on a property. I was kind of eavesdropping, but basically they found slave shackles and he immediately came to the museum um, after getting the okay from the ar archaeological site. They was running like, I'm not sure of the program, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but he worked directly with the director and then the associate registrar. So like, it's like the director was kind of acting like, I want to say a middleman, but he definitely, part of the role of the director is kind of schmooze and he was very good at that and still is, <laughs> I bet. But um, it definitely, they were like, you know, the richer type folks that kind of got like a step up. You know, they didn't have to go through the full process like normal people um, that I saw. Of course, you know, they could have been talking. They could have been doing, I mean, they still have paperwork. But, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know what they do on the phone. But I was like always amazed that like these rich people could just be like, hey, director, look what I found. And he'd be like, oh, boy. Let's get the associate registrar and do this whole thing. Um, I saw that quite a quite often, actually. Now I can't really talk about the curation or management of items because I wasn't really there for that. But I do know that sometimes the time between the donation, as in them dropping off the item, doing the paperwork, it's all good to go. It's now owned by the museum. 
And the time that it got exhibited, sometimes it was like really quick. Now, there are different ways to kind of work with that. Of course, items can always be on loan. For example, when Spectrum of Fashion opened up, we had several items on loan from Maryland designers, including Christian Siriano. Now, what I'm talking about is the full donation, not the loan. But sometimes, you know, something can be really quick and it turns out it's a loan. Um, but of course, a loan does take time. You have all this months and months of work, but once the item actually arrives, you're like, oh, okay. And it just it turns out it's a loan. Whatever. Anyway, um, there were several examples while I worked there where someone was like, um, I heard you're doing this exhibit. I actually have this item and then they kind of sped up the process a little bit they kind of put it above because hey this would be great for the exhibit and that's a that's not a bad thing to do um i just actually think it's cool when that happens because it's just interesting like somebody hears or sees something and it's like oh my god like this jacket i have in my the back of my closet that belonged to my grandma could be in a museum at the maryland center for history and culture like i said it was Maryland history. And I did say that there was a time where people just drop crap off. And that's very true. But of course, while they did have more intention behind taking in items, it is not like super, super strict and limited. So basically, you know, you could have, and the spectrum of fashion exhibit is a great example of this. You could have items from just average normal people and they were historically relevant because they lived in Maryland and have their own histories. They don't necessarily have to be famous or wealthy or um, part of some sort of event. There were a couple of dresses in that collection that were just somebody's dress or outfit that they happened to donate. Um, there was one dress in particular that somebody made themselves, which shows the style of the time so it's historically relevant there was somebody else who was like this major volunteer for the museum she left um during the pandemic if i'm not mistaken and she worked with the fashion archives and i believe she worked at the museum previously and she donated like one of her dress suits i believe it's been a while since i've been in the exhibit now you know and she's not like a famous person like there were average people in this exhibit and that's what's so cool about like more local museums you know, something like a historical society or more niche museums is that you'll kind of get the stories that you otherwise wouldn't hear or see. That brings me to the library donation. So like I previously said, they're slightly different than the museum. So you can talk to a librarian like directly. They can like give you the form or they can just give you the go ahead. They were a lot looser with stuff because again, they have more storage space and it's like easier to send things and stuff like that. Um, but it was always really cool to see some of the stuff that they got. Um, you know, you would have like vintage magazines, wedding photography, you know, all this kind of stuff, death records, um, just all this interesting stuff that people don't necessarily think is historical, but since it shows time and place and people and gives historical detail to events, like when we were doing work on pandemic articles and we're trying to find stuff about Maryland and pandemics and epidemics, you know, that small information about some random rural town and their experiences help with the overall story. You know, they help with the overall historical narrative. And I'm somebody who's very passionate about, hey, your history matters. Like when I do stuff, like I constantly document my life 
like during the pandemic, I've been making daily vlogs on TikTok. So it has clips of my life that summarize everything that has happened that day. And it definitely shows like everything that has happened since the beginning of the pandemic when we first were told that the museums, the museum was going to close to the public. And I think everybody should do something like that, whether it's a journal. Um, journals are really, really important. Um, there's tons of journals. In the, the library collection, by the way, is like huge. Um, it's digit. Some stuff is digitized. A lot of it is digitized. And then they have a physical library that you can go visit and do research in. And wow, it's just, it, it's just actually really cool. And I think that, you know, these more ephemeral items, these smaller items, you know, things that we might just throw away could be historically relevant. It's always just, you know, if you're wondering, hey, is this thing, does it matter? You can ask. That's a part of their job. You can just ask. You can inquire. That's perfectly okay. My experience, honestly, and I seem like I'm mad at people who donate, but really, if you just ask for help, you know, if you're just asking and you're like, I just want some more information, stuff like that, and you're open to the idea that the museum is trying to be responsible and they're trying to follow certain rules and make sure that these items are not only taken care of, but actually matter in some way and educate people now and in the future. And we don't just want things. We want things that, you know, we can show the history of at this time or the time before, you know, you know what I'm saying. But like, there's no harm in just asking for help or asking questions. The harm is when you expect something from a museum and when you don't get that, you get mad. It's basically the same thing with retail and food service. You can't expect everything to go your way just because you actually don't know the reality of a situation. That's why it was so frustrating when we had those types of questions because simply people will get really angry at us. So another interesting thing about where I worked is that in the museum shop, we had a unique thing, um, is that we had consignment items. So people had the option um, of not just donating to the museum, but if they wanted to cut, they could do that. They could put things in the shop. Of course, they would talk to the store manager, have a meeting. She would look at the items, um, figure out prices, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there's contracts. Trust me. Oh, my God. One of my things during the pandemic when I worked from home is going through all the contracts from basically the last 10 years and organizing them and checking the items. And oh my God, it was so annoying. It was just like, it wasn't hard, but it was like that kind of work that's like you do it over and over and over again. And all of a sudden you don't know what the time went and then you made a mistake. And it was really annoying. Some people have like 200 items in the store. Anyway, that's an interesting aspect of the museum. Um, some people would, when they, once they heard about the consignment shop aspect of the museum store, they did decide not to donate their item, instead um, pursue consignment. So consignment items, what that really is good for is small paintings, posters, you can do some postcards, vintage postcards, um, you could do hats, purses, but really the big thing was dishware, civil, silverware. Oh my gosh, silver in the store was huge. Um, you could do vases, there's baskets, um, and there were some other random items. Some jewelry, for example. And basically, this is just another way to deal with older items. You can always inquire. There's nothing really wrong with consignment. And of course, when you check, you know, check it out at a consignment store, you want to make sure 
that you have your research and you look at the items and see how they care about them and what they know about them. Of course, with the museum shop, you could have stuff that wasn't from Maryland, but some of it, a lot of it was Maryland. So you had like Preakness glasses. There was a Raven's glass um, at one point, which did break. <laughs> um, the director forgot about uh, White Elephant and then bought this wine glass and then somebody else got it and broke it on their way out. It fell out of the bottom of the box and I wasn't the one to wrap it. So, eh. Most places in my experience, talking to other museum workers and checking out museums, do not have consignment. It is a very unique feature um, at our museum, or at our museum, like I still work there. But um, it's something that you should definitely try and consider if you have some old stuff that you're not sure what to do with and you're not sure if it's historically relevant. Ask your historical society for advice. See if there's somebody you could talk to and see if you should pursue that consignment angle or avenue or whatever. Um, of course, you do need to expect that an associate registrar or whoever is working with the donations may not be able to answer your question immediately. Sometimes you got to just put that thing in a box and put it somewhere safe, you know, if you're able to. Um, a lot of people just thought that the associate registrar was just there, you know, just not doing anything. <laughs> Anyway, I should probably stop talking. I think I've talked enough, and I don't even know if this episode has any substance at all or if it's educational. If it is educational, I hope that, you know, it just means that you are more considerate about donating your items and just the reality of working at a museum and that a museum, you know, should be responsible, should have a donation process, should have a wait time. They can't just take your items. Please don't yell at your front desk workers or security for not taking your stuff, right? That's just a responsible thing, please. It's not a selfish thing. It's a responsible thing. All right. So next week, I believe... If I'm correct, the new episode comes out in the new year. Let me actually take my calendar. Give me one second. Boop, 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 boop. That's my calendar noise. Yeah, next Friday when this new episode comes out. If it comes out on Friday or Tuesday or Saturday, rather. Woo. It's going to be a new year. So I'm going to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I hope that during this time in a safe way you can find some happiness and warmth and love. I know that this time of year is already very difficult without a pandemic and without the government being the government. And I know that for a lot of people, every, it's, everything is just compounded. It's so much worse. I know. I still haven't been paid by Target. I've only had one paycheck. So I'm like really struggling right now. So I identify with you and I can't necessarily tell you things will be okay, but I hope that there's something there, some glimmer of joy and happiness that even something small, like you see a dog, somebody walking their dog and their dog's wearing a coat, or you get some nice hot chocolate, or somebody gifts you, you know, your favorite chocolate bar. I don't know why so much chocolate <laughs> or, you know, Christmas lights bring you joy, or you get to call your mom on the phone or, you know, something, anything really. I know that I definitely fall into negative pits of despair. I'm mentally ill and, you know, I see the world <laughs> and this year and all the years have been incredibly tough. 
So I know that sometimes I really struggle and it's okay to struggle, but it's also okay to try and find something good. Recently, I felt really, really bad. So I started to list some of the good things and some of the good things, you know, my fiance made hot chocolate on the stove and then put whipped cream and shaved chocolate on for me. And another thing was my cat was being cute and he has this blanket, it's an Animal Crossing quilt from Walmart that we call his cuddle blanket. And I love seeing cats on the street, not on the street, but you know, you're, you're outside and you just randomly see a cat or a fat dog. <laughs> um, today I saw a beagle that, you know, was growing into his ears. I love seeing um, people buy flowers from the people selling flowers on the street. I love seeing old people hold hands and funny TikToks. And when people compliment my earrings or when someone like right now, my hair, I can't afford a haircut. So my hair is like kind of long and, you know, I was sick with COVID, so I didn't get a haircut. And so it's kind of awkward and I don't really like it. But then somebody says, hey, I really like your hair. And it's just, it's like they know that I needed to hear that. I also love um, holiday baking championships, something I've been into and I love going to like the dollar store and like a kid gets excited about the dollar toys. And uh, recently I went to the dollar store and um, it's right next to an Amish market and all the Amish people <laughs> were buying birthday balloons and it was like 50 birthday balloons. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of other good things, but you know, there are like little things you notice in the world that can bring you joy. I'm just rambling so much. I, you know, I have stuff to do before I go to bed, but yeah, I just hope that in this tough time, something makes you smile. Something makes you feel loved. I should end this podcast, huh? All right. This has been For Art's Sake, an art history and museum podcast. I swear it's not just a rambling podcast, but I hope you forgive me because it is Christmas and I have so much to do. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. Um, anyway, yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. My name is Rhea, and uh, I'm going to stop recording now. Bye. <laughs>